Hey y'all, before we get this episode started, I just really wanted to quickly apologize for not having the episode out yesterday on Friday. I had a very busy week and I did record this episode a week prior. However, when Apple updated my computer, my phone, my iPad, everything, the last six episodes disappeared off my iPad. So I had to re-record or I was going to re-record this episode. And then this morning, Saturday, I log on to my iPad and lo and behold, all the episodes are back on my iPad. So I don't know what happened, but I'm sorry that I'm a day late. And I hope you all had a very happy, peaceful, thankful Thanksgiving. I know there's not necessarily a ton to be thankful for at the moment, but I hope you spent it with family, friends, even by yourself, if that's what you like and that's what brings you peace and calm. So I hope you all enjoyed it. I worked a 13-hour shift at work, so I was stressed and exhausted by the end of Thanksgiving. So my weekend is going to be cozy, lit candles, coffee, TV, because I need my rest. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns with me, Blake Lambert Hack, your true crime paranormal podcast. I don't have a guest with me tonight, so it's just you and I. How it's been for, oh my god, how long have I been recording? Year and a half? Two years? I don't know how long I've been doing this, but you and I, we're going to talk about some true crime. We're going to talk about some ghosts specifically in England. But I have to tell you right now, even though, you know, spooky season is, I don't want to say it's ended because it'll never end. It is year round, but it has slowed down a bit. We are now inching towards the holidays, which honestly, I truly don't know which one I like more, Halloween or Christmas. They are both very near and dear to my heart specifically. So when I get, and I kind of talked about this last episode, but when I have a chance to watch a Christmas horror movie, I'm all in. But there is a horror Thanksgiving movie coming up that I will be seeing with friends and I cannot wait. But I'm also doing a uh, non-horror related Christmas stuff. Uh, I make a playlist every year. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I make a music playlist every year, uh, a holiday music playlist. It's called 55 Days of Christmas. And I say Christmas, most of the music is Christmas-themed, but there's plenty of music that's winter-themed, or I usually do at least one Hanukkah song in the playlist every year. I've done holiday music in different languages, I've never repeated 
the same song sung by the same person. So there are a couple repeat songs, you know. I do love the song Oh Holy Night, so that is in there at least a couple times. But I've been doing it for eight years. This this is year eight making 55 Days of Christmas. And so there are plenty of songs for you to go check out. Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, whatever. But I, I started making it because everyone was complaining to me about how... Christmas music is awful. We hear the same 20 songs when we go Christmas shopping and we're just so sick of hearing it. And I agree with people. Shops, the radio, Ubers, whatever, they play the same 20 classic Christmas songs. And as good as they are, it does get tiring. So I started making this playlist to introduce people to the many, 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 many Christmas songs that are out there by every artist under the sun. We have iconic musicians that are Jewish that still come out with Christmas songs. We have rock artists coming out with Christmas songs like The Who or Queen. We have, of course, pop Christmas music. We have country Christmas music. We have jazz Christmas music. We have literally every kind of genre of Christmas music you can imagine. So whatever genre you like listening to, there is Christmas music out there for you. So I'm hardcore Christmas fan, and I'm just trying to make everybody else a hardcore Christmas fan. I don't see what's wrong with that. I'm trying to make people believers in ghosts, and I'm trying to make people believers in Santa. Join me. But yeah, 55 Days of Christmas... Go check out the playlists. Sabrina Carpenter just came out with a new Christmas EP called Fruitcake, which kind of upset that a queer artist didn't release an EP called Fruitcake, but here we are. It is really good. If you're looking for a short little six-song EP to listen to, Sabrina Carpenter's Christmas album is good. And, of course, I always go back to Ariana Grande's Christmas and Chill EP, Fantastic. But kind of a off-the-beaten-track Christmas album that I think everybody should listen to is by an artist called Tom Chaplin. He has a Christmas album called 12 Tales of Christmas. It's like 12 songs. It's beautiful music. Beautiful music. I don't really know what you would say his genre is but it's just this very jazz inspired a little bit folk adult contemporary but just the music is just really really pretty to listen to so go listen to it and I bring him up because again for this episode we are headed to England Tom Chaplin's from England so let's get into this haunted prison in the UK, Bodmin specifically, which is in Cornwall. It's, if you don't know England very well, it's the southwest corner of England. It's beautiful, very rural looking. I've not been there, but from photos, it's, you know, not a large city, but it's gorgeous looking. And 
Bodmin houses one of the most haunted prisons in the world. In the world. So we're taking it back to Saturday, February 8th, 1840. A man named Neville Norway rode his horse to the town of Cornwall to sell and buy some goods at the Cornwall market. Yes, he rode his horse. Why? Because this takes place in 1840. Neville was a successful and popular timber importer and shipping merchant who spent a great deal of his time in philanthropy. He spent most of his day in Bodmin and decided to head home around 10 in the evening with a riding companion, Abraham Hambly. Neville lived about nine miles from Bodmin, but Back in the early 1800s, he would have to ride his horse through a decent amount of woodlands on a very dark and secluded path. Which reminds me, I was going through photos today. I was looking for a very specific video from earlier today and, or from earlier in the year. And I stumbled across this video that I took over the summer when I was at a friend's wedding. And they got married in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, like I don't remember even the town it was near, but it was beautiful. They got married in a, like a forest preserve area. Gorgeous. But when I was leaving at night, I was by myself and the walk back to my car was dork. It was late. There was one sidewalk light, not even like a street light from above, but like a sidewalk light. And I was carrying something, I dropped it on the ground, and I went to pick it up, and I was videotaping myself because it was so dark, and I was a little creeped out. I was just videotaping myself, and I dropped something, and when I bent down to pick it up, in my camera, you know, I'm looking at myself, I thought I saw something behind me, and you can see me freak out in the video. Maybe I'll post the video. Go check Haunted Hometowns on Instagram and Twitter, and I'll post the video, but... It was spooky. There was nothing there. So the camera says. But I swear I saw somebody standing behind me watching me. And I was like, nope, this is not it right now. Not in the middle of the wilderness. Which, you know, that's how Neville's feeling right now. He has to ride home in pitch black woods, the forest. It's not, it's not the forest. It's just really dark out. So he has a riding companion. Neville and Abraham straddled their horses and headed out of Bodmin. At a certain point, Neville and Abraham said goodnight and rode their separate ways home. Not long after the two men left the town, two other men named John Hicks and Christopher Bowen, they left Bodmin to head home as well. Again, you need a riding companion, just like they do in elementary school. And they're like, make sure you got your partner when you go on a field trip. You can't leave them behind. Same thing here. You got your riding partner, two grown men riding horses in rural England. When John and Christopher reached Clapper Road, they came upon a gray riderless horse carrying a saddle and bridle. Which would be creepy. Trotting out of the darkness, a riderless horse. 
because you know something went wrong. And all I think of is The Headless Horseman, which great Tim Burton movie. If you've never seen it, go watch it. But spooky. They said they believed the gray horse was Neville Norway's. And because John and Neville lived in the same town, John decided to check in on Neville. He wasn't sure, but he's like, you know what? If it is his horse, let's figure this out. So when John arrived with the gray horse, he noticed the stable lights on at Neville's place. Thomas Gregory, an employee of Neville's, was working in the stables. He had not seen Neville since he left for the market. He checked the horse and saw bloodstains on the saddle. So the men grabbed lanterns and went to search for Neville. Now at this point, if you are seeing bloodstains anywhere on this horse and you didn't hear yelling for help or the horse didn't lead you to the rider, it's like something's not right. I would probably assume that like he's dead. Or he killed somebody and ran away. Like, somebody's dead. (laughs) In the middle of the night, after 10 o'clock p.m., and there's blood, and no sounds, or I guess he could be unconscious. Like, if he was... I don't know. I'm trying to think of other instances. If there was a tree that fell over or a low branch that he wasn't aware of and got hit or the horse tripped and he fell off his horse or the horse fell on him and he became unconscious. And I don't know, I guess there are other options and you don't want to jump to conclusion, but blood is never a good sign. So they went out with the lanterns to search for Neville Thomas and another servant searched the path Neville would have taken while John headed out to grab a local physician. Just after 11 p.m., Thomas and the other servant, Edward Cavill, found Neville's body in a nearby stream. His coat was unbuttoned and he was missing his hat. Later, the Cornwall Gazette would report, quote, The body of the unfortunate gentleman was found laying on the side of the road in a dreadful, mutilated state, with the head almost beaten to pieces. The pockets had been rifled, and a considerable sum taken of money, which the deceased had received. It appeared Mr. Norway must have struggled desperately with his assailants. The pistol lock of the gun was found near the body. Neville's body was carried back to his house by his horse. And I really wish I knew the horse's name. Because that is a key detail that he's a main character in this story. The horse was there when the murder happened. The horse was there when the blood stains. He's evidence. The horse is evidence. The horse is just a main character and I'm sure he had a name. All horses have names. I mean, my favorite horses, little Sebastian from Parks and Rec, 
jean jacket from Nope. And then Disney Pixar has some of the best horses names. Pegasus, Bullseye, Frau Frau, <laughs> which is from uh, Aristocats. It's just horses, horses need names, just like people need names. Pets, pets need names. And I know in this time period, a horse is not just a pet. It's more than that. But I just wish this beautiful gray horse had a name. When Neville's body was examined, they noted that all of his money was missing and he had several wounds. Essentially, his head was beaten so badly he died from blunt force trauma, though that probably was not the term used in 1840. But at 2 a.m., several men went back to the murder scene and followed horse and human tracks. And once they deciphered all the footprints in the dirt and such, they concluded that two men had attacked Neville. Now, I'm good with directions, but ask me to track someone by just footprints? No, I could never. And then to decide that there was more than two attackers? That's wild. They were also able to find his Neville's hat in a nearby field. Neville's funeral was held on February 13th, and 3,000 people attended this funeral in 1840. They couldn't post on social media about this funeral. They couldn't call up everybody and be like, hey, February 13th, come on down, pay your respects. No, that shit was hand-delivered. 3,000 people. I hope when I die the day, you know, a long time from now, that I have that many people attending my funeral and honoring me. The following day, on Valentine's Day, the Cornwall Gazette reported on his murder and offered 200 pounds to anyone who helped lead to the prosecution of the perpetrators. They also announced that the government was willing to pardon any accomplice that would give evidence against the murderers, which it's a good deal for, you know, getaway drivers, people who house murderers. You know, you don't want to get involved at this point, so tournament. Neville's wife and six children, bless that woman, were given 3,400 pounds that were raised by friends to support them now that their husband and father were dead. Plenty of people were brought in for questioning, but the case went cold. It is 1840, so it's very hard when you don't really have evidence to rely on. I mean, like DNA was not a thing, of course. So far, all we got is there were two people. And that's even like, I would not call that solid evidence. But there was no eyewitnesses. It was dark outside. There was no one around. We don't know who these people could have been. Until a shoemaker named John Harris said he watched two men loitering 
near an uninhibited cottage along the same route Neville took. Also, a blacksmith named Richard Ayers said that his neighbor was acting extremely odd the night of the murder. His neighbor, James Lightfoot, came home late and got into an argument with his wife, which left her in tears. James's house was searched and a pistol with a missing pistol lock was found hidden in the ceiling. So remember, the Gazette noted that there was a pistol lock next to the body, and then James is found with a pistol, with a missing pistol lock in his house. So we're starting to connect some pieces here. James Lightfoot was arrested, and three days later, James's brother, William Lightfoot, was also arrested. And honestly, if this doesn't teach you all to not trust your neighbor, I know the Bible and whatever says trust thy neighbor, but this is one instance you do not trust your neighbor. They're going to turn you in the moment they have a chance. And rightfully so. If your neighbor is acting extremely odd because they murdered someone, yeah, call the police. But also, I'm not trusting my neighbors for shit. Time and time again, don't trust your neighbor. William and James's trial began on March 30th, 1840 with a packed courtroom. It didn't take long for 23-year-old James and 36-year-old William to turn on each other and blame the other for the murder. Now, 23 and 36 years old. I didn't read anything about them having more siblings, but that's a large age gap. 13 years? Like, my grandma was an oops baby. She's 10 years younger than her, the third oldest. So I think she's like 16 years younger than her oldest sibling, something like that. And if that's the case, then this makes sense. Or if they're half siblings, that makes sense. Or maybe the mom just waited 13 years, but... I don't know many people who have 13 years between them. But yeah, they turned on each other, of course. Both had been pickpockets and thieves for over a year prior to the murder of 39-year-old Neville Norway. And it's giving Oliver Twist. I love an orphan story. Oliver may be my favorite orphan story, but... Maybe William and James were part of Fagin's game. Fagin was a great pickpocket teacher. So maybe these two got a lesson. But William confessed to a jailer before the trial that they surprised Neville on the trail. So, you know, William's in lockup, he's turning on his brother, and now he's going to a jailer and being like, look, we were on the trail, Neville showed up by himself, we decided to pickpocket him. William said that he grabbed the gray horse's bridle while James 
struck Neville from behind with a branch he found. Neville fell off his horse, but he was able to get back up, though he stumbled back to the ground as he was walking towards William and James. Once Neville fell back on the ground, William and James then went up to the man and hit him again. James hit him with the branch, and William hit him with the pistol. And though the brothers go back and forth saying who had the branch and who had the pistol, regardless, they dragged Neville's unconscious body across the road and into the stream that flowed parallel to the uh, trail. And they left him there to die. Now, I think William's story is probably decently accurate. But the couple hits here and there, I don't think would have left Neville's body in the state that the physician and Gazette claim his body was left. Does that make sense? Like, they described his body looking mutilated. And if that's the case, then William and James beat him till he was unrecognizable, in my opinion. So they're not being completely honest. But the brothers were found guilty, and they were sentenced to death because, you know, back then, eye for an eye. They were moved to Bodmin Jail, where they... And I'm saying Bodmin, it may be Bodmin. I'm pretty sure it's Bodmin. But anyone from England, feel free to correct me. The brothers were executed on April 13th in front of a crowd that was reported to be anywhere between 10 to 40,000 people to watch. And I, I know back then it was public entertainment hangings were entertainment for the masses but 10 to 40,000 people come on like true crime has always been popular there was even a train carrying 1100 people that stopped on the track in front of the jail to let people watch the brothers die this train fully slowed its roll and said look out the window they're gonna die wild and just an interesting fact neville's brother edmund norway was he was in command of a merchant vessel the night of his brother's murder so he fell asleep and had a dream on the ship and he wrote edmund wrote in his ship log the following morning quote about 20 minutes or a quarter before 10 o'clock, I went to bed, fell asleep, and dreamt I saw two men attack my brother and murder him. One caught the horse by the bridle and fired a pistol twice, but I heard no report. He then struck him a blow, and he fell off his horse. They struck him several blows and dragged him by the shoulders across the road and left him. In my dream, there was a house on the left side of the road. At four o'clock, I was called and went on deck to take charge of the ship, unquote. So his brother, Edmund, fully 
dreamt of his brother's murder when it was happening, which is very paranormal. How do you explain that? This is the 1800s. He's on a ship in the middle of the sea, nowhere near where his brother was murdered, and he's writing in the ship logs what happened step by step. It's wild. And this is just one of many horrible stories that led to the Bodmin Jail. Now, I've been to a paranormal prison before. I lived near a paranormal prison before. The one I took a tour of is in Pennsylvania. It's the Eastern State Penitentiary. And believe me, I will be covering that prison because it is probably the most haunted prison, at least in the United States. But creepy. Creepy place. And I didn't live very far from Joliet's prison in Illinois, which is one of the oldest prisons in the United States. It opened in 1858. And it's closed now, but if you've seen the Blues Brother, that's the prison that's in the movie The Blues Brothers. Joliet Prison. Or, sorry, Joliet Correctional Center. But yeah, creepy, creepy places especially when, you know, they're open for so long. 1800s to 2002, countless of countless prisoners that have done horrible things. But the Bodmin Jail was built in 1779 by prisoners of war who had to carry around 20,000 tons of granite. Of course, there was overcrowding issues because every prison has overcrowding issues. But Bodmin Jail has been added onto several times in the 1800s. Between 1802 and 1909, 55 prisoners were executed by hanging. The first executed were of John Vanstone and William Lee for burglary on September 1st, 1802, right in front of the jail, is where they were hanged. In 1868, a new law required executions to take place in private. So Bodman Jail built the execution shed, which, great, creepy name, but all I think of is the Harry Potter shed. The Shrieking Shack? Yes, the Shrieking Shack. The Execution Shed. But anyways, the Execution Shed was inside the walls of the jail and is still there in the corner of the front yard. It still works. And I believe it is the only working execution pit in the UK. Not that they use it, but it still operates. So if you wanted, you could use it. So other notable executions at Bodmin Jail were of Elizabeth Osborne, who was hanged in front of a large crowd in 1813 for setting fire to her former boss's corn. 
and if he treated her poorly, then he had every right to have his corn burned. There was Sarah Pogren, who was convicted of murdering her husband with rat poison. She was hanged in 1820. Elizabeth Commons was hanged in 1828 in front of a huge crowd for murdering her illegitimate baby. And just because these people, I just want to make it clear, just because these people were executed at this prison doesn't mean they actually did what they were executed for. It just means they were convicted for what they were executed for. You know, it's the 1800s. Again, evidence, DNA, not great. So... There are some of these stories that aren't necessarily fun to talk about or interesting to talk about because it's just sad, especially women back then that were being convicted for shit that they probably didn't do or if they did do it, had a reason for it. it's, It's difficult. But there was Matthew Weeks, who was convicted of murdering his girlfriend, Charlotte Diamond, and hanged in 1844. James Holman was hanged in 1854 for murdering his pregnant wife. And the last public execution at Bodmin Jail was of John Doge, who murdered Roger Drew in his shop. 28-year-old John believed 57-year-old Roger had money stashed away in the back office, so he killed Roger and ransacked the shop. Not long after John was arrested, because he was at the same pub the night before with Roger, they found a billhook with blood on it. So John was hanged on August 18, 1862. Selena Wadge was executed in 1878 for murdering one of her kids. Her last words were, quote, Lord, relieve me from this miserable world, unquote. I think that's one of the cases where it's, I don't, I think there's evidence now that she may have not done it, murdered one of her kids. But four years later, William Bartlett was executed for murdering his illegitimate baby girl. It's said that while he waited for his execution, his entire head of hair went from black to white. Paranormal. It's giving Rogue from X-Men, you know, when she gets that streak of white, which one of the best moments in film is in the second X-Men movies movie, which is my favorite, when Magneto and Mystique are sitting <laughs> on the ship and rogue walks in and sees them for the first time since they caused her hair to turn white and magneto and mystique are just laughing and they are like love what you did with the hair it is so bitchy and shady i love every second of it it's so good okay There weren't any executions while they constructed the hanging pit. So they had, you know, people had some time away from dying at the prison. But Valerie Giovanni was executed in 1901 for murdering Victor Bailiff. 
They were merchant crew members that didn't get along. They got into a fight and Victor won. But months later, while aboard the Lorton, Valerie stabbed Victor eight times in retaliation. Eight times. That's a lot of stabbing. And the last execution was on July 20th, 1909. William Hampton was convicted for murdering his girlfriend, Emily Tredrea. There are a couple different takes on this case. The first one was Emily was 15 years old when she became engaged to William. But after turning 16, she grew tired of him. She thought he was boring and decided to break things off, which getting engaged at 15 is never a good idea. Getting engaged before 25 probably isn't the best idea. (laughs) Though my grandparents did, and they're still together, and I'm going to throw them the biggest 75th wedding anniversary. They are not ready. I cannot wait. But she got tired of him. She broke things off. This led William in a blind rage to strangle Emily, which men chill the fuck out. Her younger brother heard the commotion and escaped to find his mother, who had been visiting her mother. William decided to turn himself in and claimed he strangled her because he was upset, which is, you know, there's never a good reason to strangle someone, but that's one of the lamest. The other slightly different take on this case was that Emily was 15 years old and engaged to William. However, she discovered that he was also seeing her mother he was also sleeping with her mother so emily called off the engagement rightfully so emily good on you in both these cases emily did the correct thing whether he was sleeping with her mom or not she was like this is not the man for me i need to go and she did and because she called off the engagement william was furious and strangled emily again He turned himself in, claiming his temper made him do it, which, again, is not a good reason to kill someone. Not that there is a good reason to kill someone. But that's kind of gaggy. If that's true, if the second version is true, and he's seeing Emily and also seeing Emily's mom behind her back, you can't get mad if one of them is like, I don't want to do this anymore. You can't. You don't get both ways. This isn't Sister Wives. Oh my god, y'all. I've been watching The Golden Bachelor. And the final three women... I'm not going to spoil anything because we are past this point. But the final three women are giving sisters. And And in that episode when he picks the final three and they all run up to hug him and they all look the same. They're all hugging him. I was like, these are Sister Wives. They all want to be married to the same man. It's wild. But I am going to say The Golden Bachelor, way better than The Regular Bachelor. Because all these people have been through life. They've all experienced shit. They all know what's going on. They understand that, like, you can love someone, but also have an understanding that it's a TV show. And they have kids and grandkids, and they've just, like, lived life. And it's just more endearing, and you care for these people more. It's just better. It's just better. But yeah, those are some other cases of people who were executed in Bodmin Jail in the 1800s. But before we get into the ghosts, 
let's take a quick break. in jail closed in 1927 which i was talking about jails being open for a long time that's a long fucking time 1700s to 1927 55 people dying in that span of time honestly isn't that much for that for the for the culture back then i feel like it would be more from 1779 to 1927 I'm kind of surprised it was only 55 people but that was the last time the building was used as a jail 1927 the building wasn't really used much after that until very recently when the building was turned into a hotel in 2021 and honestly it looks beautiful inside it's like the modern mixed with a building that's almost 250 years old it's just gorgeous and haunted there are many ghosts that roam the halls including many that were executed okay y'all before i get into this i've also been watching living for the dead on hulu i believe which is a ghost hunting show but all the ghost hunters there's five of them they're all queer and i gotta be honest i need to be on that show i need to be a paranormal investigator on living for the dead so if you know anybody related to that show i know one of the uh, executive producers is kristen stewart but if you know anybody on that show I need at least a guest star appearance. Not that I'm like super well known. None of these people on this show are super well known, except for maybe Ross Hernandez. But I would love to travel the United States or travel the world with queer people investigating haunted locations. That is truly a dream of mine. I love the show. I would love to be on it. So that's my audition. Someone hire me. Thank you. Ghosts at Bodman Jail. Now, I quickly mentioned Matthew Weeks. He was executed in the jail. And he is seen often wandering the halls pleading his innocence. Charlotte also appears where she was murdered, wearing a gown and silk bonnet. So Charlotte's ghost isn't at the jail. It's at wherever she was murdered. But more recently, historians doubt that Matthew Week murdered Charlotte. So that's one of the cases I was talking about. You know, it's 1800s. Matthew Weeks may not have killed his girlfriend. And that's why he's wandering the jail, now hotel, pleading his innocence. And I don't blame him. If I was him, I would also be a ghost pleading my innocence and be like, look, I didn't kill her. I loved her, but now I'm dead. So I feel for him, if he didn't do it. 
but I've also been listening to a podcast that, and I can't remember the name of the podcast right now, but they were talking to a, I don't know if he considers himself a medium or what, but they were doing a seance and he was talking about one of the ghosts in the room. And then one of the journalists, uh, host of the podcast was like, but the ghost could be lying. Yeah. Ghosts lie. And the guy's like, yeah, ghosts can lie. And it's like, okay, well, if ghosts can lie, then how do we know if they're innocent or not? Wouldn't they tell us anything that we would want to hear? Like if I murdered somebody and I was a ghost, I would also in my ghost days be like, yeah, I'm innocent. Remember me fondly. Or maybe you just come clean because you're already dead. I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. But yeah, Matthew Weeks, you might catch a glimpse of him at Bodman Jail. Selena Wadge has been seen trying to grab young kids in the jail. It's also said that pregnant women have strange feelings while visiting, which is scary. If you are a pregnant woman and you are visiting this jail and feel something strange, maybe see a doctor. And if everything's clear, then you can blame it on Selena. But Selena told a guard that she killed her son because the men she loved said he would marry her if she killed him. Now, the man she's talking about denied this claim. He said he never asked her to kill her child. But that's what she's saying. So she is saying that she killed kid but it was because she was in love with this man so selena had some mental health issues many children will see selena wandering bodman jail and ask why the woman in the long dress is crying which is sad even though she killed her child she was probably you know heartbroken after it happened now the lightfoot brothers the ones I talked about at the top of the episode, either together or separate, have been seen on the ground floor of the jail where the ground floor cells are now that, you know, now hotel rooms. So keep an eye out for William and James Lightfoot. And there are a couple ghosts that I have not mentioned. That of Anne Jeffries, who was arrested for being a witch. She was left to starve to death in the jail. It took her three months to die in her cell, which at the time made many believe that she really was a witch. You know, nobody can survive three months without food or water. But, you know, in today's era, she was probably eating whatever she could find or she was probably given small rations by someone who felt sorry for her or knew that witches weren't real. Either way, she did die in the jail and her ghost roams the jail. There's also a ghost priest that hangs out in the chapel, which I'm pretty sure I've talked about on this podcast. I love a nun, especially a ghost nun. And a ghost priest is just in the same you know, realm of my love for 
haunted churches, haunted religious artifacts, etc. I love a, a nun character and most priests characters are boring and like not as good as nuns, but there's if it's a ghost priest, I could be into it. But he hangs out in the chapel. There's also a ghost that is just described as a thin gaunt man and he lurks in a specific cell, but we they didn't say which cell. So if you're staying at the hotel, you know, maybe keep an eye out for the thin gaunt man. Which makes it creepier. Why does he have to be gaunt? You know, if he's skinny, sure, but like, why do you have to be gaunt? That makes it creepier. People have seen ghosts in the restaurant of the hotel. They've seen them sitting at the bar. They've seen them in the hotel rooms that used to be the cells. They've seen them walking the stairs, like literally all over this place. A lot of people claim to be like being watched. Very common. Again, footsteps, very common. Voices coming from nowhere. Uh, the rattling of keys, which is kind of a fun one. You could see orbs, or you could feel someone touch you. You could have your clothes tugged on, or hear children screaming. Y'all, I know I've talked about this several times, but children's voices, ghost children, wor- the worst kind of ghost. And you're going to hear them screaming? That's not scary, that's sad. That's sad. There's also unexplained banging, which just makes me think of, I think it's a bad girls club where it's like, she's, <laughs> she's banging <laughs> pots and pans together. And she's like, if, if, uh, if I'm not going to get any sleep from y'all, y'all ain't going to get sleep from me. Something like that. She's just screaming in the middle of the night, banging pots and pans about y'all ain't, <laughs> y'all ain't sleeping. If I'm not sleeping, y'all ain't sleeping. That's what I think of at this jail. Some people have had things thrown at them. Again, that's not very nice, and I don't support that. So ghost listening, don't throw things at people. Many visitors say the most intense feelings of dread come from the basement and a very specific part of the jail that held naval prisoners when the jail was active. Both the basement and this naval section are like the most haunted. It's always a basement. It's always a basement. There have also been sights of ghosts wandering the offices But those are more like wardens and officers of the jail, which I think is interesting. And that's also what people attribute like the jingling of keys to are the warden ghosts. They call the ghost warden George, and apparently he died from a heart attack in the prison. So I don't know why he's a ghost, but he died in the prison and apparently he's hanging about making sure these prisoner ghosts stay in their cells and act right. So I did watch the episode of the jail from the TV show Most Haunted. I think it's in season six. But 
before it became a hotel, the most haunted crew did a little paranormal investigating. And they heard tons of odd things throughout the building. Some of them felt things like a breeze or something touched them. There were sounds like a foghorn. They did a seance and a glass flew off the table, which, you know, I've talked to you all about the two glasses that have flown off the table near me at work. But the other night, a tray of food fell on the ground with no one by it, except for me a couple feet away. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the team heard sounds like foghorns. They did a seance and a glass fell off the table. They also experienced the worst feelings in the cell block that housed the Navy personnel. So if you're interested to see what the jail looked like before it was a hotel, that episode does a good job showing you. But I don't know. I would like to say that I couldn't stay in the hotel, but I really want to. I really want to stay in that jail and do some of my own paranormal investigating. I feel like I've talked about her in the past, like early episodes, but my mom had a friend who had a haunted house or lived in a, she lived in a house that was haunted, I guess is the best way of saying it, but they did a, they added on to their house and the ghosts they had would never go into the newly renovated area. So maybe in this new hotel, the paranormal sightings have gone down because, you know, a lot of it's been revamped or revitalized, but it sounds like it's still haunted because the restaurant, bar, etc., is still haunted. So let me fly my ass to England, which I have been meaning to visit lately anyway. I really want to visit London. I want to visit Edinburgh. But maybe I'll make a stop in Cornwall and go to Bodmin Jail and say hi to all the ghosts and see if they'll give me their, uh, their stories and see if any of the 55 executed were rightfully executed. But... With that, that's the Haunted Bondman Jail, and thank you all so much for listening. I truly appreciate it, and uh, I love doing this podcast and look forward to doing research and recording every other week. So thank you for listening, you know, make sure, sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. Also go to Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. I have TikTok now for Haunted Hometowns. Go to all of those and uh, keep an eye out because I'll post more on there when more things develop. But also go there for photos about today's episode. Go for upcoming guest info, past guest info, news, like this possible second podcast that I'll be doing. Uh, and email me your paranormal experiences at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. And it could be anything from your discarded Halloween jack-o'-lantern continually making its way back into your house to hearing spanking coming from your basement when you're home alone. Let me know. 
And I will meet y'all back here in a couple weeks because everyone loves a ghost story, especially me. The theme song is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Popstar, And go listen to his music anywhere you stream your music, T-H-A-R. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on social media at p.e.p.e.p.munoz, M-U-N-O-Z. Got my information from bondmanjail.org, bondmanjailhotel.com, British Executions, Haunted Britain, True Crime Library, Haunted Rooms, and jerrywalton.com.